0: Hey guys, welcome to the Youth Fitness Podcast, topics on youth fitness with a focus on doing what's best for kids. Brought to you by the Martin family, the developers of the Brand X Method, and the Athlete Coach Network.
1: Welcome to the Athlete Coach Network, a new connection-based training platform that breaks down regional barriers and connects coaches and athletes anytime, anywhere. You're an athlete and love to push yourself. Who's guiding you? As an athlete, you can filter and search our library to find the perfect coach, or sign up for a membership to get video feedback and comments from our coaches all over the world. As a coach, you can set up your profile and advertise your credentials, set your own price for video reviews, or direct messaging to ensure your rates reflects the value of your time. Welcome to the Athlete Coach Network, and welcome to the future of sports coaching.
2: James Dowling is a career physical educator. He has worked with children aged four to 18 as well as adults for the past 25 years. James is Australian and apart from in his native land, he has international PE teaching experience in England, Austria, United Arab Emirates, Vietnam, Switzerland, India, and is currently in Luxembourg. He has been a PE teacher, head of department, athletic director, and PE instructional coach. James has been presenting on general physical preparedness and movement literacy since 2011. He consults with PE teams to introduce those strands to revamp or bolster their current curriculum. In fact, we were there when James presented functional fitness for PE programs In Surrey, England, oh, it might have even been almost a decade now since we um, had the pleasure of seeing him make a presentation, um, which was so motivating and exciting and well thought out. Let's move on to the interview. We look forward to it. James Dowling. Good evening. This is Youth Fitness Podcast, and we have a special guest here, somebody who we've been connected to in different ways over the years. And highly respect, and I'm going to go into his qualifications in a minute. But let's let's just start off with how we met and how we got connected early in the early days. Jeff and I were both thinking on what that was, and wonder if your memory or perspective is the same as ours. I'm not sure. I recall that you were one of the very first subscribers to what was the CrossFit Kids magazine, and th- and that was man maybe 2005 or 2004 and you said you remembered
0: i think it was brisbane was it brisbane that you course, came sydney. sydney sydney okay it was sydney and that's how yeah, we first yeah oh so it was and sydney that, it was first... sydney and it was across the street do you remember what it was across the street from the gym that we were we were in but what i remember most was one of my favorite crossfit shirts ever cuz you you gave me a crossfit shirt there and it was you were teaching in vietnam and you were teaching. You had, I think, an affiliate a CrossFit affiliate in the school. It was CrossFit Hanoi, and you gave me a T-shirt, and it had a little guy with a barbell, and he's and he's doing a good morning. And the understanding said, "Good, good morning, Vietnam." And I and I just I wore that I wore the heck out of that shirt until I I, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. That's
3: pretty much. But my, my of course my first encounter with you guys that you know wasn't wasn't live was stumbling across the internet, I was looking for kettlebell workouts to do with kids, you know, functional fitness things. And of course, your site popped up there. And uh, that's where I got into the magazine and dived a bit deeply. And I I tend to get into things pretty intently when I discover them and read pretty much every one of those. Then after that, I discovered that there was like an adult's version. (laughs) So it was... A lot of people find you the other way around, but you are definitely my introduction to CrossFit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me say a little bit about what you have. Your resume is amaz- amazing. I, I see what you put here, but then there's things that I know about that you didn't put here because you're uh, probably a very humble human being. It says you are born in Australia. You've been a PE teacher for 30 years, the last 20 of which have been in international, do they call them baccalaureate schools or just international schools?
3: The international schools, but most of them have been the IB, International Baccalaureate Schools. I was in one American school recently, American as in American curriculum in India.
2: Interesting. Now, see, obviously, I don't know the differences between those, and we should talk about them. So you've been in Austria, United Arab Emirates, sorry (laughs) about my speech, Vietnam, Switzerland, India, and now Luxembourg. And it says an ah moment about 15 years ago when evaluating what I felt was important with my own physical identity. That's super interesting. What does that mean?
3: Well, always was of the opinion that the important thing about uh, physical activity was being able to not be the best at any one thing, but to Be able to do many different things. So if someone wants to play a game of tennis, or someone wants to, you know, kick a football, hit a volleyball, or you know, go for a swim, go surfing, that I could adapt and be okay at all of these. And so that was kind of my my upbringing. You know, I liked to do a a lot of different activities. I did get kind of specialised as well as I came into like adulthood and played rugby at a reasonable level. Aha moment was kind of at the end of my sporting career and when I realized that you know my golf handicap wasn't going down and you know the young kids in rugby were starting to run around me and my body was breaking down a little bit I was wondering what all of this was really for because I was starting to look forward and see what my life might be like you know as I as I got older and you know I went down that typical the typical route of run swim ride and that's a different beat down right? And so I started getting involved and looking at this idea of functional fitness, and as a PE teacher, my curriculum that I was delivering was all about these different contexts, and I was like, what are we actually teaching students that is going to be genuinely lifelong? We can show them, you know, dip their toe in, and get them to experience a lot of different physical activities but they were all in my mind kind of disparate and there was nothing that really tied them together meaningfully that that could serve them for the rest of their life sure it could you know they could play a game of volleyball at a a picnic or you know know the rudimentary rules of the different sports but and also talking to some friends of mine who had very negative experiences with their PE programs, you know, but are really avid runners or hikers or, you know, very physical people now. But the negativity associated with their experience kind of carried on for quite a while until they kind of got comfortable with what they should be doing. You know, so really what they learned in PE never really translated into into real life for them. And it did make me think a lot. And now where I came to this aha moment, was like, okay, you know what is at the center of all of these desperate contexts of of movement is you know the person is at the center. The student is the one who is at the middle of it, and it's them learning about themselves, and it should be less about them learning about uh, the rules of badminton or you know how to do a layup. Um these were just contexts for them to, discover their own physicality. So, you know, the the further learning that I did through you guys and thinking more about 10 general physical skills and you know what good movement looked like, it gave me a language to be able to refer to these different movement challenges that they were they were finding. And so then we could we could start to link them together and make it meaningful that way.
2: Interesting. I like that it's a very unique perspective coming to kind of walking back from what happens in later life to what the experiences were earlier, and then introspectively saying is what we're doing and teaching fitness actually leading to a lifetime of health and fitness, which is I think a general goal or maybe a goal that we have in common.
0: But I think it's interesting how that um, can be derailed. That a PE teacher is walking that back. You know, yeah. for, from, from our perspective, we were parents kind of walking forward and looking at and tripping, you know, and tripping. Lots <laughs> of lo- tripping. But looking at the exact same things you're saying with PE and going, this isn't serving our kids the way we want them to be served. And I'm not seeing the development of, it's just kind of not see, seeing the development of an athlete here or, or athleticism and walking further down the road down the road, maybe like 2010-ish, coming to the realization that that the path we'd kind of been on was this where we were, you know, training kids to be really good athletically in the sagittal plane and realizing that look, we need, you know, life happens in 360 and we're dealing with only one, only one direction. And I know we had several discussions when we met you in the UK kind of along this, along these lines, like look, we, you know, we were expanding and going like, we need to be doing these different things and rotational and anti-rotational and, and transverse plane. And, and it was just, it was kind of a, again, another revelation for us and growth for our, for us as a as a company.
3: Yeah. The, the whole physical education profession, you know, suffers a little bit of this. I've just been, I'm completing my master's at the moment as well. And having a bit of a deeper dive into the history of PE and, why it is what it is, and what else it could be, and so I've been studying a sociologist called Bourdieu, and he discusses these fields of, you know, cultural capital and habitus, and how fields interrelate and re- Interrelate and, uh The PE industry is just kind of turned into this self-perpetuating thing. We do it because that's the way we were taught, and that's that's a sociological phenomenon, you know. So it doesn't just happen in in my profession, but it's something that. It's like we have to kind of actively work to uh, evolve from as well. So, you know, holding up that mirror to PE teachers and, you know, asking, is this the right way or is this just where we have placed ourselves? Because the reality is, you know, PE started off as like a gymnastics thing, a preparation for war for, for young men and women, you know, healthy, fit society. Uh, goals and then um you know the the wealthy classes were able to play these sports they had a lot more free time and then when free time and the 40 hour work week came in then this was more accessible to you know the rest of the population we then start playing it's like okay we these are the sports for boys and these are the sports for girls and you know it became um, a thing about sport then that evolved into and I've and I've heard you speak about it before. How, like a PE class, will be if it's basketball, it'll have such a huge variety in in skill level. And so, you know, playing a game at this point is like a ridiculous thing to do because it only serves the ones who can already do. Right? And and the ones who cannot just don't get to participate. They don't they don't get touches on the ball. They don't improve they actually kind of withdraw from it as well. And and so what has happened out of this is, and because the, the, the gym is our classroom and it's generally off some part of the campus and you've got to travel to get there and then there's changing time at the beginning and then there's changing time at the end and you've got this kind of 30 to 45 minutes where you can't really play a game And you can't really do a deep dive into an activity. So you do this thing that David Kirk from Loughborough University calls, you know, sport as sport techniques. And so you don't actually learn the sport. You learn how to do the chess pass. You learn how to do dribble. You learn how to do the layup. And, you know, you might get like five minutes or something where they go, like, put that into a game. And you know, a, a lot of PE is this sport of sport techniques, where it's not the game. They're just things that look like they're part of the game.
0: That's fascinating. I wonder what your thoughts are. Like, how do we get here? When I when I was in elementary school, I went to what was called a lab school, and we took teachers in who were learning, and they they did their labs with us. One of the things, one of the benefits of that was that we got uh, people who were labbing PE. So. Things that I got out of that were like we had rope climbing, we had vaulting, we had trampoline, we had all kinds of. You know, we learned physical skills. We learned our you know motor patterns or physical skills. I remember in fifth grade throwing the shot put. It didn't go very far, but I learned how to you know do these kind of things. And then some you know, that was in the nineteen uh, sixties, and then <laughs> move forward in the seventies. It was. It was about um, you know becoming physically fit, and we were trying to re- trying to hit the, the uh, presidential physical fitness markers, and then somewhere in the late '70s, early '80s, we turned into this like we need we're all about sport the US. in the US. the U.S. and it was really an interesting you know looking back on it now for us I'm looking at the how one of the things we were seeing in when we first kind of looked at this was the disenfranchisement that you talked about with kids come into come into this. Uh, they don't know how to play basketball. They're told we're playing basketball and they're kind of standing around going like, I don't want to do this and uh, feeling bad about it. And and subsequent disenfranchisement from not just the physical education class, but physical activity. Like with us, we kind of grew up in this different time, time and PE was very different for us and physical activity is just a part of our life. Like this is like, if we don't move during the day don't go do something, don't go for a walk, don't go for a hike, don't, don't go outside and play or do something. We, um, it's it's we like we've missed something. something.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and I, you know, I have
0: nothing against
3: like basketball or badminton or anything, it's just, you know, I don't believe I'm the one to say that students, you know, this is what you should be doing. And and I, I actually see value in like learning a layup or, you know, a, an overhead clear or a smash because the way I approach it is that it is a movement pattern it is like understanding of them as a, a mover a performer it's a coordination activity it's a power activity you know they they get to see these kind of connections to the bigger picture of movement and it's just that's the specific context don't try and tell me it's the sport but it is worthwhile to like practice these techniques just to because we don't generally learn a lot of new movement patterns
2: It's a movement solution right though it's the most efficient way to get the ball into the basket from the side so so, That's right. t- so that here's the movement solution let's practice that it can be in context of sport but it also could be you know you're playing around you want to throw the uh wadded up piece of paper into the trash bucket and get it there first or the bin right
3: yeah <laughs> yeah the rubbish bin, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got to spend a few days at a workshop with Edo Portal, and he he calls the movement riddles, right? Everything we do is a movement riddle, picking up your pen on the desk, you know, doing a layup. They, they're all movement riddles, and you add complexity, i.e., defender, you know, lower, higher, less steps, more steps, bigger takeoff. So, you know, uh, that's that's something that I've constantly kind of regurgitated as well. It's like Everything is a movement riddle. We just we've, and we've got to have the tools to solve it and you know the, the right guides for, for that process.
2: Well, as you know, we're big on a play and true play, not just fun, but play as an exploration and experimentation without a lot of structure, so that those riddles and solutions can be solved organically and with peers. Better engagement and all the social benefits, the beautiful things that come out of that. And that's leading me to think about your amazingly international experience, and we can't not talk about that. I mean, I'm looking at the schools in Australia, United Arab Emirates, I still can't say it, Vietnam, Switzerland, India, and now Luxembourg. So, can you tell us maybe any uh, stories of Maybe the similarities and the differences that you saw, and and in, in, in need for perception, any any comments on that? Just very unique background that you have with different cultures and situations.
3: Yeah, I've I've kind of travelled a little bit back and forth between Asia and and Europe, and very broadly speaking, and this has resonated by a lot of people that have done similar things. Is the, the European schools are a little bit more with a with lower turnover in staff. They they don't have the, the fresh innovation that is maybe the hallmark of some of the the international schools in Asia with a huge turnover of staff, young administration coming through, looking you know up to date with learning and achievements in the field and where everything's headed and you know the freedom in a lot of senses to to continually change and to implement these innovations. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in, in Europe, but some of these can take a, a bit longer to get a foothold in. And, you know, that that definitely resonates with my experience as well. Um, uh, I've been quite fortunate enough to come in with an idea and you you mentioned about vietnam and i I talked to the owner of the school there and i said look i've got this idea i see you've got a, a spare bit of land there it was an old badminton court you know outdoors i'd just seen kelly starrett's video about him you know setting up crossfit in san francisco and someone asking him you know you know, where are the showers? And it's like, (laughs) we don't have showers. We don't even have a roof. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, it can be done anywhere. So I did the same thing. I got a, a shipping container dropped in and I, bought some equipment from China and you know I said to the the owner of the school this is what I kind of envisioned for this it's just going to be a a place where we can explore some of these movement options something different in the curriculum and it's also something I want to do with the community I'll run classes before school and he's like I'll be your first client Uh, and so you know he he was really willing and it gave me that space for free and you know, that was that was CrossFit Saigon. Yeah, I was un, unfortunate that we didn't kind of have a, a longer time there. But then moving on to where were we next in must have been Switzerland, I would I was really fresh to to kind of talk to management again and say, okay, I've got these ideas. This is you know where the kind of movement is going. This is important, this hits your whole population. We tie the community into something for teachers. And you know, I was able to convince the next school as well to to be able to put you know some so a rig in there and get some free weight and some medicine balls and you know to, and make our gym space like open space that could know, structure these lessons in a different way and keep play and all of that all of that great stuff that you you know taught me as well. Then back to India, did the same thing again. Yeah. And now I'm in Luxembourg and I'm going in the process of refitting our fitness center. Because the the people see the need for it and they, they latch on to good ideas and you know they appreciate when someone comes in with a bit of enthusiasm as well. And they typically got a quite a generous budget, you know, for for the for the academics, you know, for the facilities. So the private schools have Typically, the students are very high achieving. If international schools, you know, these league tables that they say, you know, Finland is the best, and then, you know, they always tell you how far down the ladder you are in Australia or the US. You know, if international schools were a country, they would be by some margin the best performing schools in the world. So, you know, the the parents are, um, you know, international people, professionals high level highly educated themselves and, and so the schools do benefit from that kind of luxury as well as far as ability in from europe to to asia uh the bigger and the con- more condensed the, the city like i see is the lower the physical ability so i'm talking about your, your kids from asian backgrounds from korea we've had a lot of korean kids and japan and india and the, the, the physical opportunities Aren't, aren't, aren't as available for them and so we do see a uh, a lower entry level you know, into, into <laughs> their physical fitness journey or their, their movement experience so that is an important thing to kind of recognize the school at the moment that i'm at you know just coming from india i was like you know bubbling inside and quite excited just watching the kids in the playground and i'm a big person not to sound too creepy but to watch them move around the hallways and how they pick up bags and how they walk up and down stairs and whether their feet are facing forward when they move and you know how, how do they sit and hold their themselves. Do they constantly slouching or are they can they maintain that bracing throughout their day? So yeah, that was a that was a uh something I recognized moving into this job.
2: We we talk about all the time we can't unsee movement anymore. <laughs> It's just unfortunately, every time we look at somebody, it's almost impossible to not note the, those things somewhere in your in your brain, whether it's relevant or not to what's happening. You just see that movement. So that that brings up we do we have observed it, and I'm sure you have too. But it, the context may be different all over the world. But here, in the, quite a disastrous drop in the entry level of most kids where we used to have an assumed vocabulary we now we call movement gaps when they don't have that assumed vocabulary that used to be in 2010 uh, every child that almost every child that walked in we could assume they knew how to jump or do a jumping jack or skip or skip or, or, or draw, run
0: or jump rope little things the little you, you think of them as little things
2: yeah but they're the building they're, blocks, but they're building blocks right? of what's right. going on right are the feet. Do they know how their right. feet should even be um, in any, or change in different, any, all of that?
0: The, Are they connected the, the, to their feet? But I think what you're saying is the, the assumed library of human movement, like we, that we would have assumed 20 years ago, a child walking into our gym or walking into our, whatever sport we were coaching at that time, that they had those things. And it was shocking if somebody didn't. Like And now it seems... The opposite has flipped, at least in the U.S., where we're looking at things. The people coming through the door, almost all of them, are lacking uh, common human, you know, some some parts of the common human and, movement. And,
2: and, it's and the, even the high-level athlete isn't accepted from that. Right.
0: No, I I agree,
3: and I was gonna I was gonna speak about that as well. You know, the. I tried to identify what weaknesses were, and it was definitely squatting and having that full range and, you know, not being tipping over backwards when they get into a full squat and the feet must turn out, you know, and inability to hold their own weight hanging was was another huge marker, you know, for like predicted ability and movement. I was like, can you hold on it? And some of these kids just cannot, like, not we're not even talking for a second. And... You know, I was like, well, this is one of these adaptability comes from opportunity situation. So they just haven't had the opportunity. And so, you know, they haven't adapted. But then I see like kids that I'm I'm teaching now who are very high level runners and football players, but with no hip mobility whatsoever, you know, so but they're training five days a week and they're just doing these linear activities that, you know, don't express full range of movement. And... They're becoming, you know, stuck as like 11, 12-year-olds. And it's not because they're not getting the requisite movement. It's just that it's all in one direction. You know, they're, 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 they're getting their recommended weekly allowance of whatever it is, you know, 30 minutes a day or 45 minutes a day, whatever the local health authorities prescribe, but it's not actually working for them in the full expression of what health could be.
0: In our original courses, we used to break things down to like this is how you teach a squat, boom, 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 boom. This how you teach a squat. This how you teach kids to pick something up off the ground. And all of these things, these movement gaps, you know, right around 2014, caused us to reassess what we were doing and break things down further, like. How do we teach motor patterns? How do we teach a child that his feet needs to be straight ahead? Their feet needs to be straight ahead when they're walking, running, or or squatting. And and how do we how do we teach that the sh- how the shoulders should be when they're picking something up? You know, breaking things down is really we call them movement skills.
2: Yeah, we call we call them movement skills. We also call them tier zero because it's sort of underneath what we used to think of as tier one movements. Now we're like, oh, we have to go down the elevator now a little bit. And that it sounds critical and I don't mean to be critical because I absolutely understand what you said and I want to emphasize what you said opportunity with with opportunity comes adaptability so it's not anybody's fault that they haven't had the opportunity for exposure it's just our job as people in this industry. To try and meet them where they are and provide help.
0: I think what I was going, where I was going with that, James, was the when I digressed. When I digressed, <laughs> which was awesome, was the uh, was the idea that you're still looking at what's going on, assessing what's going on, and then trying to break it down, like how do I best serve this child's movement needs? You know, not just kind of going, okay, now I'm going to glo- globally. Today we're going to learn to lift something up off the ground. You know, maybe we can't you know, can't do that anymore. And I really appreciate that in in you. And we've talked with you over the years. I've always been appreciative of the fact that you're looking at uh, where kids are, how you can best serve them, and and then adapting to that. Oh, Adap- I, uh, yeah, adaptability.
2: Adaptability. I want to I want to give a little James Dowling promo here too. Uh, our son Duncan is temporarily living here with us, and he was asking about podcasts and who are you interviewing. <laughs> And your name came up and said, I love James Dowling. And I remember we went together as a family to Surrey, where you were giving a rock star presentation, because it mm-hmm. lives on in my mind, and obviously in Duncan's, of, of PE and functional fitness and what you were doing in the schools. And the level of teaching at that function was impressive, And but particularly the way you presented it and the energy you brought to it, it was just so wonderful to see yeah so there's my plug for
0: James telling that's good to hear
3: thank you thank you it did make me you know filling my head like that has maybe forget what I was about to say but uh, I I'm appreciate
0: sorry. it <laughs> sorry, I apologize
2: I do have a tendency to go off on tangents <laughs> So I see under what motivates you. You say generally, at its worst, PE is not serving, and in many cases, damaging the people they seek to serve. I know we touched on that a little bit earlier, but what what any specifics there that you want to speak about?
3: I think the analogy that you know I've gone to before is to say if I had a math class where the students who needed the most help were withdrawing and not getting any practice in it, it just it wouldn't, it wouldn't fly. It, the, the, the subject wouldn't exist that way. And so I think it's kind of criminal for us in PE to to keep rolling something out that is is the same kind of thing. I think we have to be brave too and looking at what what PE is. You know, maybe the school day, as I, I said before, isn't structured towards, you know, a, a meaningful interaction with a physical activity. Maybe PE should be a day in the school, right? And, you know, four days or, you know, one of 10 days or something where we can do a deep bot dive. We can have some sort of connection with our geography. You know, we can, you know, just recognize the many different things that are out there and not just the equipment that we have in our sports shed. I
2: love that that idea. Um the geography mm-hmm. engage with the world around you because that's so different for everyone what is that what does that look like and that should be something that kids have some guidance for
3: and culturally as well as something that you know that that we try and continually bring out like india was a great example and we didn't have indian students on the campus you might walk around and think they were you know they looked like indian but they were dual passport holders because we couldn't have in uh part of the charter of the school was from the, no nationals were permitted to be there all right that was so the agreement that was reached with the government the, the school would be set up to serve the international community but because we're in india we played cricket because that was a, gave us a cultural connection to where we were and you know the, the way i assessed cricket was you know through like the the cognitive whether they understood the game and so we i don't know if you've ever scored a game of cricket but it's pretty stat heavy like baseball is as well and a cricket score sheet is a massive thing every time there's a ball bowled you have to
0: fill it in in four different places. You tried to explain cricket to us when we were in Surrey. When we were in Surrey, there was, a, there was remember, a
2: game on top. I remember
0: like <laughs> glazing over and just what do I hit and what Jeff do I need to I do? Like, okay. We've
2: never seen this did. Yeah.
0: So,
2: you did, so, you did so a good I, job uh, trying. Yes. There There's a lot of effort. <laughs>
3: yeah, and then to, but you know, because it was on everywhere, they could more connect with their surroundings. they could see the the game that was being played on the street the, when it was on the television, wherever they were, why there was so much excitement about it. we got into the history of why India became so big and the advent of television and the commercialization and you know they, it's a really effective unit and you know they'd learned the rudimentary things about bowling and batting as well but it's not it's not about that it's about making that bigger connection. Mm. Not everything has to be about the skills of the
0: sport. Well, a, so true. Kind of a question that comes off of that, but the difference between running a PE class and running a gym. In you know, in the gym, it's fairly easy to make the class to make each class about an individual. So I can come in and go. You know, Tommy is really good at. Pull-ups is what we're going to do. Jimmy isn't so good at pull-ups. This is what I'm going to do to, to, for him to have success. And I can take my 20 or 30 students and, and kind of take the workout and divide things up so that each one of them finds success and finds, you know, is able to walk out with some something. Also, I don't have a score sheet. So I'm not coming in saying you have to do 10 pull-ups today to pass or something like that. In PE, we have this. We have a lot of times where, the, you know, they get tested because find success or failure. Surrounding that test, what do you think we could do to, to help change the way that's uh, kind of the way that's done for PE? Because ultimately, ultimately, PE teachers want to find success, and PE teachers want kids to leave their programs happy that they that they came and that they learned something and succeeded. Yeah. I, I- Maybe
3: you're referring to like this fitness gram or the, yeah. like the fitness the fitness testing that they do that's mandated, I I know in a lot of states and the, the data is collected and sent off somewhere for some purpose, which no one seems to know what that <laughs> purpose is. But we 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 don't use the term fitness testing, but we use benchmarking. And it is real important distinction, you know, in terms there, because this is this is how they performed on that day in that activity with these conditions, right? and then it's benchmarked against how they performed on another day in these conditions with their the feeling and right. And so it's like this is where it's at. And if they're showing progress, that's feedback for you know something in their life is moving them in that direction. If they're not showing progress, you know, and they're still growing. They are, you know, there's something in their life that, that is causing that as well. And if they're regressing, then of course, you know, this is this is all feedback for the individual. They, you know, they're still in that mindset of like, is that good? Is that good? I was like, well, did you improve? Or I was like, but like, what, what, how fast can someone run? You know, the kids will want to do that. And I was like, you can go and find that out. Right, you can you can do that research. That that data is available, but it is not what you're being scored on in this class.
2: That speaks. It yeah. speaks to us. We're, we're I, I know we're known as being that rah, rah, all <laughs> about the movement quality and everything, and that is we are, and and That's we're a good thing. <laughs> extremely focused on that. for in our perception as for the safety and proper development of the child, but over time we realized it was so much more than that. That we need to look at not just the biological and the movement we need to look at the psycho and the social and everything we do and just that language these instead of saying assessment or test if we could say benchmarking brings the stress level down and also the comparison to your last what was it what was going on when you took it rather than Who's the fastest in a whiteboard kind of situation? It's so much more comprehensive and concern for the well-being of that human being.
3: Yeah, yeah. That, we can't stop them from comparing with with what their friends got. That's going to happen. No, we know. You know. <laughs> but we de-emphasize it. You know. So yeah, we just make sure that they understand that the way they're being assessed is them against them.
0: I think in the PE classes here, one of the things you know, you come in and a child gets an A, a B, a C. A D <laughs> and you know that child like may have been trying as best they can to improve they just don't have the skills level yet to to be good at basketball so I like the I, I like the idea we've always liked the idea of this is where you came in this is where you are today is there improvement high fives you know and if there's not improvement um, how can part, we better yeah, how can we better serve you? Right. <laughs> to help you right. get, help you get that improvement,
2: or are there other things, and often there are mm-hmm. other things going on in their lives. Right.
0: Or? but I think the I like the idea of benchmarking against yourself mm-hmm. is something that's it's nice. So we're moving
3: a, a lot towards like okay. standards-based grading as well. So our standard might be something like that. You know, takes feedback and tries to tries to refine a movement skill in a given context, right and so they're, they're like feeding, if they're really, you know, doing it and paying attention and practicing and getting better at whatever it is, or they are meeting the standards, or they're moving towards the standards, or, you know, they're, they're not meeting standard. And that's, the, that's a lot about engagement, but we, you know, this is, we know that the more you try, the better you're going to become. And, and it's not about, you can already do it, so you get an A, because we haven't taught you anything. You yeah, we, it's about how much time you spend refining that movement skill. So the better get better, the best get better. And, you know, the ones who are approaching it are working towards it and they know that's the process. And so everyone should have the, the right to be able to succeed in the subject, not just the ones who can already do it.
2: Agreed. James, thank you for spending your time with us. I'm looking at the clock and we have about two minutes left. So I want I want to uh, I want to give your contact information, which on Twitter would be at physedjames. James. And you have a blog, which I'm really happy to learn about. I didn't know about, so I'll be looking at that. physedjames.com, which is wonderful. But also um what's just very curious, what is your not physical history, but play history? Do you are you comfortable sharing? how you grew up, and if, were, was there play in your life?
3: Yeah, well, I, I grew up on a farm, and the, my nearest neighbor was my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> and But he had a tennis court, uh, and so I got every raggedy old tennis ball from our collection and used to know, go up there and and serve and play games with myself. And, you know, I didn't have anyone to hit up against. Or you know, I'd get the rugby ball and I'd find the the fields with the biggest incline. I'd kick up the hill and see how far I can, you know, kick it up the hill. And and it would roll back down to me. So I had to formulate all these one-on-one game, one-v-none games, riding motorbikes and uh, building caves down near the, the creek and bridges and, you know, the outdoor... And climbing, you, you mentioned it before. We had a pine tree forest, and they were just the best things to climb. Spending my time up in the canopy, you know, going from tree to tree, yeah, that was that was all a huge part of, of my growing up. So and then I went to boarding school, and and it was all boys, and so we had to, you know, again occupy our times well productively, but <laughs> that that always ends up in some sort of some sort of play yeah out out in the bush or swimming in the river illegally which we weren't supposed <laughs> to do but you know the weather was perfect for it and yeah it was it's a it's a huge part of my my growing up and background and, and i just had it available too i i think i'm very fortunate with that and one of the things that i continually try and get my kids to connect with is what is it around your, where you live that, you know, where you keep going for recreational space, what is available to you? you know, where can you go to be active? That was one of our big COVID projects as well, when we're doing remote learning, but to them to show what they did and, you know, make sure they understood their the connection with what they had available. Well, wow,
2: that's a whole mm-hmm. subject we yeah. didn't do, but, mm-hmm. but, As we mentioned in our our little talk prior prior to recording, we are likely to get back in touch at some point to delve into something else. And that's an interesting subject.
0: James Dowling, series two.
2: (laughs) (laughs) By then you're going to have a master's degree, so I have to pimp out my my bio section a little more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) James, thank you very much. Yes,
2: Thank you so much for your time. We -hmm. really appreciate your perspectives.
0: Always a
3: pleasure. Really great to speak with you guys. Thank you. Good to
2: see you. you. Youth need great coaches now more than ever. Brand X has dedicated themselves to doing what is best for kids for over two decades and now offers mentoring, education, programming and resources in one smart package to empower coaches to efficiently deliver world-class youth programs. Check out their plug-and-play options and join the BrandX family today. You plus BrandX equals youth program success.
0: That was the Youth Fitness Podcast, topics on youth fitness with focus on doing what's best for kids. Brought to you by the Martin Family, the developers of the BrandX Method and the Athlete Coach Network. We hope you guys enjoyed that episode and you listen for more.